Welcome to another edition of Life Insurance HQ, the podcast. As usual, I am your host, Jason Miracle. Thank you for joining us today. Today's topic is going to be life insurance and estate planning for high net worth individuals. We're going to talk about some of the benefits of using life insurance for estate planning as well as other assets and why it may make sense for high net worth individuals to consider life insurance for estate planning. So let's Let's get right into it. One of the primary benefits of using life insurance for estate planning is obviously the leverage that it creates. You, you know, if I have a ten million dollar policy and the annual premiums fifty to hundred or whatever thousand dollars, and something happens to me in the next five years, obviously there's an incredible amount of leverage there uh, that wouldn't otherwise exist. Obviously, the topic comes up is well, what if I live longer? How does that look? And regardless of age, in many cases, that leverage uh, oftentimes makes a, a lot of sense for individuals and families to consider using life insurance for estate planning. Another one of the primary benefits is life insurance death benefits are generally income tax free, which means the recipient is going to is not going to have to pay any taxes on proceeds that they may receive. Um, when structured properly, the death benefit is also excludable from estate taxes. And we're going to get into that a little bit more later, a little bit later in the podcast. So when, when we're looking at using life insurance for estate planning, there are a number of expenses that loved ones might face uh, when family members pass away. And the reality is, life insurance is going to provide somewhat immediate liquidity to help continue to pay those expenses. It can be especially useful in scenarios where the high net worth family has a very solid net worth, but may not be very liquid. And so where we see a lot of usage of life insurance for high net worth families is where um, the estate may be very valuable, but it lacks liquidity. And so the ability to come up with liquid assets to pay for estate taxes or ongoing expenses can be challenging. Now, what makes life insurance unique is those funds can be available within two to three weeks of death. And so you can access them almost within four to six weeks of, of, of the individual dying. And those assets or that cash is available to help pay for estate taxes, to help continue to fund ongoing expenses and maintain uh, individuals' lifestyles in some cases. And so where we see life insurance used for high net worth individuals is primarily, you know, for estate taxes, estate equalization, where we have a privately held stock or, or we own a business that takes up a sizable percentage of our estate, or we have a significant amount of real estate, whether it's personal holdings or commercial holdings, life insurance can play a key role in allowing those assets to continue to operate the way they would have had uh, the original owning family member uh, been alive. 
one of the main questions that often comes up is, or there are two is, you know, should I use an individual or survivorship policy and what type of policy should I use? Well, you know, if you are a husband and wife and you have built a sizable estate, um, in most cases, it makes the most sense. Again, we say in most cases to consider survivorship life insurance. And what survivorship life insurance does is it pays a death benefit at the death of the second insured. Now, the benefit of doing this is typically survivorship coverage is going to cost less than individual coverage. And the need for that liquidity typically does not occur until the second death, especially in situations where family assets are going to pass to one spouse at the death of the first spouse. So we will generally look at survivorship depending on what the planning goals are and the structure is uh, for those types of families. If it's just a, a, a man or a woman and it's their estate and somebody may have already passed or there's a divorce or they've been widowed, then we'll certainly look at individual insurance as well. And we'll do a full comparison across carriers. Now, the secondary question that comes up again is, is product. What product should I use? And generally, when we're doing this type of planning, we're usually looking at a permanent universal life insurance policy. Typically, it's going to be some type of current assumption universal life policy or a no lapse guarantee policy. We are seeing some index universal life policies being used. We like those when they're run conservatively and use conservative assumptions. But those are some of the things that we evaluate when we're working with high net worth individuals who are interested in life insurance for estate planning. So let's let's talk about estate taxes because that's one of the main reasons people use life insurance for estate planning. In 2022, the current estate tax exemption per individual is $12 million and $12,060,000. So each spouse has an estate tax exemption of $12,060,000 for a total of $24,120,000 per couple. What that means is you can essentially transfer that amount of wealth estate tax-free to your heirs. Now, what happens if our net worth exceeds that $24 million amount? Well, anything over that $24 million is going to be subject to a 40% estate tax. So any dollar over 24 million, your heirs are going to receive 60 cents of every dollar that's there. In addition, there are 17 states that have an inheritance tax in addition to the federal estate tax. And so you're going to want to look to see if your state includes an estate or inheritance tax. And in addition, the amount of assets you can hold that will not be subject to that tax will vary from the federal estate tax limits of $12,060,000 per individual. Now, under current legislation, that estate tax exemption is scheduled to go away 
on January 1st of 2026. So only about three and a half years from now. And that estate tax exemption at that time will reduce from the 12 million 60 today, which by the way, is going to be adjusted for inflation over the next few years. The January 1st, 2026 estate tax exemption is scheduled to revert back to 5.49 million and that will be adjusted for inflation. So at in 2026, you're probably going to see the estate tax exemption drop to around 6 million plus or minus probably 500,000 from 12 million and whatever it grows to. So it'll almost be half of what it is today. And again, under current legislation, any dollar over, let's call it that approximate $6 million number will also be subject to that 40% estate tax. Now, Congress can change that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they do and how they do it. Um, but under the current legislation, that is, is what ex is expected to happen. And so when we're looking at this, we're looking at what's our state made up of? You may say, hey, I'm worth $50 million, but it's completely liquid. I'm going to owe, you know, call it 15 million of estate taxes. Um, we'll just use the cash we have on hand to pay for that estate tax. And my heirs will end up with $35 million. And that's great. And that's your right to do so. But you may be worth $50 million and 40 to 45 million, let's call it 40, is made up of privately held stock and property. Now, what happens if something happens to you and we need to come up with five to $10 million of liquidity to help pay the estate tax? And that's really where life insurance fits in because life insurance can be used to fill that gap or provide some type of gap insurance to make sure that heirs in the estate don't have to sell assets in order to pay the estate tax. And, and what we've seen is, let's say you own a business that's worth $30 million, and we'll get into this a little bit more later. What's it worth the day you die? Are your heirs going to be able to sell it for $30 million if you're no longer there? Likely not. They're likely going to have to sell it at a discount. If there's other owners, there's probably not a buyer out there other than the existing owners, and they're probably not going to pay full value for that. So while you may owe uh, estate taxes on that $30 million asset, you may be only you may only be able to sell it for 15 or $20 million, even though you're still going to owe estate taxes on the value as if you were still here. And so you've got to take that into consideration. You're going to own a state tax, but what are you going to be able to sell those liquid assets for in a relatively short period of time? And that can also disinherit heirs and cause an estate to lose a great deal of value, even though that asset was worth a significantly more amount while, uh, while you were alive. Now, a lot of times when we're talking about life insurance for estate planning, one of the things we recommend you use is a thing called an irrevocable life insurance trust. And we've done podcasts on this. And what an irrevocable life insurance trust is, is it's a trust that's been designed to own a life insurance policy. 
And when an irrevocable trust owns a life insurance policy and is the beneficiary of a life insurance policy, uh, what happens is the death benefit is going to not be includable in your estate. So let's say we've got that same individual who's worth 50 million and they have a $10 million life insurance policy and they own it individually. Instead of uh, the asset being valued at 50 million at their death, uh, it's going to be valued at 60 million because those insurance proceeds are going to be a part of the estate and are going to be includable in the estate. So 4 million of your $10 million death benefit is going to go to the government in the form of an estate tax. When we put it in the irrevocable trust, it stays outside of the estate and does not get added to the overall value of the estate. So using an irrevocable life insurance trust is highly recommended when we're looking at doing life insurance planning for high net worth individuals. And there are a number of ways to structure the islet, but essentially you're gonna name beneficiaries of the islet, they're going to be your heirs. And then we're going to have to figure out how to get money into the islet. Uh, the easiest way to do so is to use your annual exemption, uh, which is around approximately $16,000 right now. And you can make an annual gift per heir or per beneficiary of the trust for up to $16,000 without any estate tax issues or taxable issues. So if you've got three heirs, you've got a husband and wife, that's 32,000 times three. So that's 96,000 of annual gifting that you can make in trust to fund a premium payment, a tax-free death benefit inside of the trust. In situations where premiums may be higher than 96,000, or we, we may have to contribute more, a lot of times we'll look at other options in terms of how best to fund that life insurance need for that estate planning case, uh, which may include private financing or split dollar or premium financing or something like that, where we're uh, strategically designing a way to fund that life insurance policy as to not impact uh, your exemption amounts or to limit them as much as possible. And so uh, life insurance planning for estate planning can be a, a, a great way for high net worth individuals to secure life insurance to help provide the liquidity to pay the estate tax. The other area that we see life insurance planning for high net worth individuals uh, provide quite a bit of value is when it comes to estate equalization, okay? And the idea of estate equalization is when you have multiple heirs, um, it, it can sometimes be difficult to divide assets equally amongst your heirs. And so this can be especially true when you own a business or own different pieces of real estate. So as an example, let's say dad passes away and leaves a $3 million home to his kids. Well, two of the kids don't live anywhere near the home and don't want anything to do with the home and they want to sell it. But you also have the third child who has fond memories of the home, would love to keep it in the family and they want to keep it. And the challenge here is they don't have the money to buy out their brothers. And so you create this conflict within the, the air structure where you've got two family members who want to get rid of it. 
one who doesn't. And uh, you can use life insurance uh, to be able to equalize what goes to which heirs. That way they continue to be harmonious with each other. We see this a lot when you may have two siblings and one sibling is involved with the family business and the other family, uh, the other sibling is not in the family business. And, you know, mom and dad want the child that's involved with the family business to, to have that family business and continue to grow it and operate it as if it were theirs. But when you do that, you're essentially disinheriting their other sibling. And so life insurance can be a great way to provide a state equalization for difficult asset for assets that are difficult to divide amongst different heirs. And so we can also look at that and, and, and how that makes sense. And a lot of the strategies we use for purposes of securing that insurance is similar to how we would do it in an estate planning scenario. Now, probably one of the, the, the biggest challenges, not biggest challenges, but one of the challenges we see with high net worth individuals is when they own privately held stock. And we've talked about that. And when they own privately held stock, it kind of creates its own um, challenges and difficulties when it comes to how are we going to pass the family business on to our heirs? And are our heirs equipped to run the family business? And so a lot of times there are different strategies and techniques that you can use to help pass the family business on. The first question you need to ask yourself is, do you have any partners? And in a lot of cases, with whether it's family businesses or just privately held business, there's typically more than one owner. And the challenge with that type of structure is if a, if a partner passes away, then one of two things is going to happen. The deceased partner's family is going to get involved and want money and cash flow and to be able to continue to receive the same salary, but they're never going to show up to work. So it puts pressure on the surviving partner and can oftentimes lead to disputes as it relates to valuations, cash flow needs, how to run the company, and what everybody's role and involvement is. And probably one of the easiest tools that we use to help address all these issues prior to a death is what's called a buy-sell agreement. There are a number of ways to structure a buy-sell agreement. We're not going to get into those, but we're going to talk about some of the benefits of a buy-sell agreement. A buy-sell agreement simply lays out during everybody's lifetime how a business is to be transferred if a triggering event occurs. And a triggering event may include a death, a disability, or a retirement. And it's really a playbook or a rule book that the living owners establish when there's no conflict. And they can determine what the value of the company is. They can determine what steps are going to be taken if a triggering event occurs. And so who has the first rights to buy 
the stock of the owner that has passed away or become disabled or become retired? What happens if they don't want to own that portion of the company? And, and ultimately what the steps are. And again, one of the keys is it also provides a value that the owners while alive are while the owners are living agree to. So it becomes very difficult for family members to dispute that value if and when a triggering event were to occur. And so buy-sell agreements are typically the easiest way to transfer assets. And so what happens is let's say we've got a business that's worth $50 million and we have two owners, they're not related, that own 50, have owned $25 million a piece. Now, if without a buy-sell agreement, if one of them passes away, then the spouse or heirs of the partner who passed are going to inherit that $25 million or half of that company. Now, they may be subject to estate taxes. They may have stuff that they need to deal with individually. And if they do, that's going to put a strain on the other business owner. So when we have a buy-sell agreement, it'll typically say, hey, the surviving partner has the first rights to purchase the shares from the deceased partner's spouse or heirs or whoever those may be. And at that point, they need to make a decision whether or not they want to execute or buy those shares of the company. And there's a number of ways that they can do that. At the time of death, they can go to the bank and see if they're able to borrow $25 million, which in a lot of cases isn't uh, isn't available, at least up to $25 million. They can come up with an installment agreement between the heirs and the business where they agree to pay a certain amount each year. Uh, the, The family of the deceased partner may agree to set up some type of loan structure that gets paid off over time. Perhaps the surviving business owner agrees to pay it out of cash flow over a period of time. But generally, the easiest and least expensive way to do it is to purchase life insurance as a part of the buy sell agreement. And again, there's different ways to structure buy sells, which is going to determine how the uh, how the ownership and beneficiary of the policy is going to be established. But having a buy sell agreement as a part of any business and keeping it up to date can be a very key feature to maintain harmony not only within the family, but in the business. Now, in situations where we may only have one business owner with the same $50 million business, I I, I mean, really the options are, uh, you know, are we able to sell it for 50 million if if they're no longer with us? The likelihood is probably not. It really depends on the business, but I would I would argue that a majority of the time, something that's worth fifty million dollars when when uh, mom or dad are alive it, it is probably worth thirty or forty when they're not here. But we might owe a state tax on fifty, even though we can only get thirty, and so we've essentially disinherited them. We can always structure key man policies and things like that to provide liquidity to maintain the business for a certain period of time, make sure we meet payroll, are able to cover expenses, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something to think about. But when it's one individual, even if it's more than uh, one owner, we get back to that estate planning 
uh, topic where we where we where we started, and we look at you know making sure that there's liquidity there to make sure the business is able to continue without a without the main partner or or, or the owner of that company. And so there are a lot of things that people don't think about that can have an impact on what is transferred to heirs. And we do see where people say, hey, they're already getting enough money. They don't need to get more. But there's also a scenario with, you know, depending on the assets you own and what the estate is made of, is how much headache are you going to put them through that could have been avoided through uh, different planning via an attorney, a CPA, a financial advisor that would have taken very little effort while we were alive, but we maybe chose to ignore it. And now it becomes, it becomes a problem for our heirs and beneficiaries. And so those are just a, a, a few things to think about as, as you move forward. Life insurance can be an excellent tool to provide that liquidity, especially in situations where you have a large estate that lacks liquidity, but perhaps has good cash flow. And so those are some things to think about. We appreciate you taking the time today. Again, you know, if you're interested in any of these topics, we're happy to have a conversation. But before you proceed with anything, we would recommend that you discuss them with your legal team, your accounting team, your financial team to see if they make the most sense, see if see if they make sense for your situation, because it's not applicable to everybody. Again, if you have any questions, you can email us at lihq at miracleco.com. That's lihq at m-e-r-i-c-l-e-c-o.com. You can always visit us at miracleco.com. That's M-E-R-I-C-L-E-C-O.com. We thank you for joining us for another episode, and we'll look forward to speaking with you next week. Have a great day.